Thank you for downloading this sermon from Holy Trinity Reformed Church. If you live in the vicinity of Mooresville, Indiana, come join us as we rebuild Christ's Holy Church out of the ash heaps of American fundamentalism and evangelicalism through repentance, revival, and reformation. If you would like more information about Holy Trinity Reformed Church, or if you do not live in our area but would like to support this ministry, please visit our website at reformedholytrinity.org. Revelation chapter 2, verse number 8. We began last week looking at the church here in Smyrna. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. This is the word of the Lord, and it is eternally true. And so we begin looking at this church, the church of Smyrna, uh, following up our look at the church of Ephesus, which basically there's a lot of things um, surrounding the context uh, in the message that Jesus delivers to these churches. Um, But we're really just trying to get at the main theme that we can incorporate into our lives and understanding and application for the day in which we are living. And basically, when we looked at the church of Ephesus, the theme is, the main idea and the uh, intention of the message is that they would return to their first love, right? And so we spoke a lot uh, about that in relation to Um, them uh, turning away from their first love and what love is. And so now we're looking at the church of Smyrna. And basically, the theme here is found in verse number 10. You know, there's a lot of interesting topics and even controversial topics surrounding the message, the main part of the message, right? And so, you know, there's right before you just can't help but get distracted, right? Especially in this day in which we live. And immediately we want to start thinking about those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. But the main theme is actually this. Do not fear and be faithful unto death. That's the message to the church of Smyrna. The church at Ephesus was returned to your first love. Um, The church here at Smyrna, it is don't fear, do not be afraid, and be faithful unto death. So last week we kind of set the stage uh, in relation to this church, and then we looked at the first part 
of um, the message concerning he who is the first and the last and who is dead and who came to life. And then we considered the significance of his death and resurrection. And so now I want us to look, start looking here in verse number nine to understand Smyrna's condition. And so he acknowledges, Christ acknowledges here the works and the tribulation and the poverty of this church. Just like he acknowledged all the things surrounding the church in Ephesus and all the works and labor and patience and, and their uh, uh, intolerance of evil and, and, and all these things that he was praising them for. Well, that's how it begins here, too, with the church of Smyrna as Christ begins to acknowledge the good things in their midst. And so... As this message unfolds, um, Christ is revealing his intimate and personal understanding and knowledge of their circumstances, whether it is positive or negative. And so here, once again, we see that Christ is interested in all the other details and circumstances of their existence and their life. And so he is interested in this particular church, just as Christ is interested in this particular church here at 7542 East Landersdale Road. So we see here Christ sees beyond all of these things, though, at the same time, even though he knows all the external circumstances but he sees into the heart of his people. But here, he acknowledges three aspects of their condition. Their condition in relation to their work. So he commends them for their work, their labor, their effort. They were working. They were engaged in expanding and advancing the kingdom of Jesus Christ. <coughs> So they were, they were working. They were a church that worked. Now, today, I think if we were going to receive a message from the Lord, work would probably be one of the things that would not come up, right? Um, the church in the West is no longer a, a working church. We're a leisure church. We don't even have the old Protestant work ethic anymore, in, um, not only in our society, but also within the church and amongst Christians. Um, when we read about the early church, we read in the epistles. They were always laboring. They were always working for the advancement of the gospel. Now, I realize that in their culture, they probably did not have as many distractions as we have today. We carry around our most major distraction, which I lost it, so now I feel lost. You know, it's back there on the back table, and now I'm like panicking. It's like, oh, where's my phone? You know, I mean, you know, we have the great distractor that we carry right on our belt, and um, uh, called our smartphone, which probably is not making us any smarter. The phones are getting smarter while we're getting dumber. 
But um, we have all these distractions, and I realize that. We do. We have tons of distractions nowadays. I mean, let's face it. The church in the first century wasn't tempted to sit every evening watching TV. They didn't have that temptation. Now, obviously, they had other temptations, but that was not one of them. They did not have the temptation of, Right? They didn't have that temptation. Thank you. I'll sing at your wedding. Or dance. One of the two. You're a gentleman and a scholar, as they used to say. But we have all these distractions, you know, and we, we spend so much, we, so much of our time is wasted. And they did not have that. And I realize that we have some great challenges and obstacles. But we have to at least acknowledge the fact, right? We have to at least acknowledge the reality. The reason why we are seeing the rise of darkness throughout the West and the reason why we are seeing wickedness prevail, the reason why we are seeing the decay and deconstruction of the church is because the church is no longer active. They're no longer working. They're no longer laboring. We are no longer carrying out the Great Commission while we sit around and say, oh, what in the world's going on? The world's going to hell in a handbasket. Well, there's no Great Commission happening. So... The church is to go preach the gospel to every creature and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and then disciple these nations to where the gospel has been preached and they have been baptized to disciple, to teach all nations to be obedient to whatsoever Christ has commanded us. Well, when you don't have that happening you're going to get something different, right? And so we've got something different because we are not doing that. The church is not fulfilling its mission anymore. As a matter of fact, we're not even fulfilling our mission in our first evangelistic effort, which is your own heart. So you're to be evangelizing yourself, first of all, by reading the word and praying and attending church and uh, whatever activities that the church has to offer in our growth in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so he commends them for their works. And would to God we could be commended for our works and working today. But unfortunately, that is not the case. But these works, undoubtedly, as we understand the rest of Scripture, are driven by something. They're driven by faith and commitment. One of the things I was talking with someone the other day is we just need a a return, a revival of just old-fashioned grit and determination. That's what commitment is, grit and determination. We need a Christian form of that. 
Now, there's a lot of grit and determination going on out there in the world for a lot of different things. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's incredible how determined people are to fulfill their own pleasures or their own sin. All you got to do is go into some of these areas in the major cities, and it is amazing what people will do to themselves in order to be so committed to their drug of choice. All these people on the street, think of how committed they are to that. They are, they're sold out. They're 100% in, right? Um, so just this old-fashioned grit and determination that we used to have in the Christian worldview. When it's like, this is what is before us. This is what we're supposed to do. And you know what the answer was? is like, well, then let's do it. Um, but we don't have that anymore. But no doubt, they had that faith and commitment. They were... They were sold out. They were given to this program. That's what we need to do. We need to surrender ourselves and give ourselves to this program of uh, Christ that, uh, of, of reconciling the world. But they had that in their devotion to Christ. Obviously, their works was an outward manifestation of their devotion to Christ, their heart devotion. They were devoted to him. And therefore, they were working for him. And their life was going to be defined by that, which is what Christianity used to mean. It used to be disciples of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ, committing our lives to the devotion and service of Christ in our lives, in our vocations, in our marriages, in our families, throughout our society, and so forth. I mean, every aspect of our life being lived for Jesus Christ. So they had that devotion, which resulted in works that they were committed to. I know your works, he says. So despite the challenges that they were facing, because we look at this and it's like tribulation and poverty, well, we're, we're definitely out at that point in time uh, because we're not going to have enough grit and determination to try to work through those obstacles in order to do something. I forget who was it. Was it Matthew West? Was he the guy that had the song, Why Don't You Just Do Something? Um, you know, it's really a challenge to our generation um, uh, because we don't do anything. We're kind of like, what was it, VeggieTales, or the pirates who don't do anything. That was one of my favorite songs off of that series. The pirates who don't do anything. But, uh, but here we find them being commended in spite of all their challenges These believers in Smyrna, in their tribulation and poverty. Oh, so much for the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. They were in tribulation and poverty. They wasn't walking around like, boy, I don't know what's going wrong. Everything was going right. They were serving Christ. And because of their service of Christ in a dominant pagan society, they had to suffer for it. 
That's what happens. That's what happens when you're in a dominant pagan society to be faithful to Christ means suffering. But it didn't cause them to cease from working. They remained steadfast in their commitment to living out the teachings of Christ. So their actions, you might say, were, were fueled by genuine faith. And they're recognized by Christ for something good, right? And they're commended by Jesus who knows all things, even their hearts. Well, apparently, they had read James chapter 2, where the Apostle James says, For as the body without the spirit is dead... So also, faith without works is dead. Boy, do we need a revival of that understanding. As a matter of fact, we have went so far the other way. Um, We need a a, a good dose of, of an emphasis on works today. Because the evangelical world, they went so far the other way. Um, that where there's absolutely zero understanding, zero emphasis about works, about living out our faith. That's all works are, right, is living out our faith. The faith that we say we have in here is manifested in what we do right here and right here and, and where we go. say over here and works is just a manifestation of the faith that we have in our hearts so apparently they understood that faith without works is dead they understood and this is the problem especially like in the more conservative realms or the reformed realms or whatever whatever you want to call these areas of the modern Western church that uh, has re-emphasized the first part of Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Nothing you did, nothing you can do. It is not of you. Grace and faith does not come from you. It comes from God. It's a gift. Because of the riches of his grace that he has bestowed upon sinners. And so there's been a re-emphasizing of that. But unfortunately, we always stop short. And we never finish down through Ephesians chapter 2 and get to verse 10, where it says, For we, those who have been granted grace and faith, those who have received the riches of God through Jesus Christ. For we are his workmanship. So that grace and faith that comes from God also works. Okay? So if that grace and faith that comes from God that's been granted to us, if that grace and faith works, that means there ought to be works in us. 
So he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we've been recreated in Christ Jesus for a purpose. And that purpose is good works. And good works being defined by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 as those which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, that which is according to his standard. Talking the other day how that we just want to get rid of all standards nowadays because we can't deal with the fact that we're always coming up short. That's called growth in sanctification. It's growth in grace and knowledge. It's growth in our faith and repentance. But we don't want to acknowledge any aspect of works. We don't want to acknowledge God's standard for it. And then we don't want to acknowledge the requirement of them. Thankfully, the church of Smyrna was commended by Jesus. He who is the first and the last, who is dead and who came to life, he says, I know your works. But he also knows their tribulation. He knows all the difficulties and challenges that they were going through. His knowledge extends even into their experiences. And his concern is demonstrated in this knowledge. The term tribulation. And by the way, uh, the church in Smyrna is going through the tribulation in the first century. It was their tribulation, right? Think they would have been comforted? It's like, ah, don't worry about it. This isn't the great tribulation. You're just being burned by Nero's all. It's no big deal. Don't worry about it. No, they were going through tribulation. And to them, it was their great tribulation. But he says, I know your tribulation. What is tribulation? Tribulation is intense. Now, there's suffering, there's persecution, and there's hardship. And then there's tribulation. Tribulation is intense suffering, intense persecution, and intense hardship. And so the believers in Smyrna are not shielded by the trials that often accompany a faithful Christian life. It wasn't health, wealth, and prosperity for them. Nope. They had to endure tribulation. And Jesus acknowledges their tribulation. He identifies with their struggles and prepares to offer words of comfort and exhortation to them in the midst of their tribulation. See, we need to start learning how to Pray a little differently. Because what do we pray for? And this is because it's all consuming to us. What we pray for is, Lord, remove the tribulation. You know what Jesus came and delivered to them? I know your tribulation. 
Get ready. Because he's getting ready to getting ready to speak to their issue, to their tribulation. Don't be afraid. Be faithful unto death. Never one instance or inclination about removing the tribulation. Not one. Not even a pause. Hmm. Yeah, I know, it is pretty tough. Let's see here, what can we do about that? Oh, here's what we do about that. Don't be afraid and be faithful unto death. That's the words of Jesus to his bride. That's the word of Jesus to his church, who is in the midst of intense suffering and persecution. Do not be afraid. Be faithful unto death. You see, even John, to whom this revelation is being given to, he's suffering as well. And this is how he identifies himself in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9. I, John, you, both your brother and companion in the tribulation. Notice he said it in the present tense. Seriously, this is something for everybody to pause and think about a second. All the Christians always thinking about this future tribulation. I, John, both your brother and compassion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. You see, this whole aspect of the church's existence until the consummation should be tribulation. Because we are to be at war with the world. And the world is to be at war with us. And when it is not, there is no light, only darkness. There has to be the confrontation of light and darkness. And if there is not, is because there is no light. But he is your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. And so he says he was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Jesus said this. Think of the words of Jesus to his disciples in John chapter 16. In verse 33, these things I have spoken to you that in me you might have peace. That's the same thing that Jesus comes to tell the church at Smyrna in the midst of their tribulation and poverty. Don't be afraid. And I like that too, because it's just a command. Because we're all, Oh my goodness. Don't be afraid. Stop. Stop it. Do not be afraid. I, I am the first and the last. 
I am he who is dead and now is alive. Do not be afraid. I came that you might have peace. Have peace in me. That's what's communicated. Do not be afraid. I have came. I have overcome the world so that in me you might have peace. I have came and I have overcome Satan. I have overcome sin. I have overcome death. Why are you afraid? Do not be afraid. Have peace in me. So Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Woohoo! Yeah, well, let's see. Be of good cheer. Learn how to do the Celtic whatever it's called. And be of good cheer. Rejoice, shout, and dance. Be of good cheer. Cheers. I have overcome the world. Celebrate good times. Come on. Right? Isn't that what's being stated? If there's anybody that should be rejoicing in this world and celebrating... Even in the midst of our poverty and tribulations, it is the people of God. That's why he tells them, I know your works, I know your tribulation, and I know your poverty. And then what does he say to that? Do not be afraid. Don't. Believe in me. I've overcome the world. Don't be afraid. Believe in me. I am the first and the last. I'm the Alpha and Omega. I'm the King of all kings. I'm the Lord of all lords. I'm the one who's been granted all power and authority in heaven and on earth. I'm the one seated at the right hand of God the Father putting all of my enemies under my footstool. Do not be afraid. And then, be faithful unto death. (laughs) We are told in Acts chapter 14, verse 22, that this was the pastoral care going on to the church there in the first century by the apostles. And it says this concerning the pastoral care in Acts chapter 14 and verse 22. That they were strengthening the souls of the disciples. The same way Jesus was strengthening the souls of the disciples. They were strengthening them. Hey, don't be afraid. Be of good cheer. Christ has overcome the world. They were strengthening the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, be faithful unto death. 
and saying this. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. That was their pastoral care. Getting them to be strong. Toughen up. Suck it up, buttercup. Get strong, get tough, get strengthened. Exercise yourself unto godliness. It's time for some spiritual strength. Which means it's going to require spiritual exercise. If you're going to get strong physically, how are you going to get strong physically? By sitting on the couch, eating Twinkies, and watching uh, whatever it is. Binging some TV show. No, it's not how you're going to get strong physically. Well, if we're going to get strong spiritually, we have to exercise, right? So they're strengthening the souls of the disciples. And then they're exhorting them. Keep going. Five more push-ups. Oh, one more pull-up. You can get it. It wasn't trying to remove the stuff that was going to make them stronger. No, they were getting them to actually exercise. To be exercised in these things so that they might become stronger. And then they exhorted them to continue. And one of the ways they exhorted them was to tell them this. If you're a Christian, you should have tribulation. Now, throughout history, the degree of that tribulation has varied. But as long as there is sin, as long as there is evil, as long as there is anything in this world that is not of God, There is to be conflict. And conflict brings some sort of tribulation. Then he acknowledged their poverty, and we'll talk more about this next week, because he says something very interesting. You know, because it's a right way of thinking. And... You know, I don't know all the reasons why we have the word of God and there's things that we try to discern. But, you know, when it comes to poverty, when it comes to money, that's the thing that gets our goat the most. You know what I mean? And so he adds a statement here to the poverty thing. Because I think, in my opinion, that's where our weakness lies. We measure everything by what we have. And he says, I know your works, tribulation and poverty. But you are rich. Makes you think of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. Right? When we talk about the riches of God's grace. Makes us think about the spiritual blessings, all the spiritual blessings that has been bestowed upon us. It also makes us think even of uh, physical things. 
because we are co-heirs of Christ. We are co-inheritors. And what are we inheriting? Everything that God has made in heaven and on earth. No, all these things haven't been brought into subjection to Christ as of yet because we are presently in the warfare stage. We are presently in the time where Christ is putting all enemies under his feet. We've not reached the consummation, the perfected kingdom, where heaven and earth are one and all things are under Christ's complete control. We haven't reached that, but we are inheritors of it. All things belong unto Christ and all things belong unto those who are in Christ. So he says, I know your poverty, your poverty, but you are rich. You're rich spiritually. And one day in Christ, you will have all things. You know, we're kind of still living in the days when we're still receiving things from the trust fund. Remember those in the old days? Those rich, uh, you know, they didn't want them to squander all their inheritance. So they would give them an allowance until they thought that they had reached the maturity in which to have the whole inheritance under their control. Well, it's kind of like with us. We're still receiving just an allowance. But one of these days, all things, as Paul says, all things are yours, all things are ours. Christ will have dominion over heaven and earth and all things will be his and all things will belong to those who are considered or called by Paul co-heirs with Christ father we thank you for the things that we see here in this passage with the church of Smyrna Lord we pray that you would Help us to be encouraged by them, to be edified uh, by these things, so that we might have peace and not be afraid, but be courageous. As Solomon said, the righteous are as bold as a lion, but the wicked flee when no man pursueth. Help us not to be the cowardly, who flee. Help us to be the righteous who stand. And so we pray that you would help us to be strong. We pray that you would help us to have peace and confidence in Christ. And we pray that you would help us to be determined to be faithful 
even unto death. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.